The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio. This is the car cast after USC's 28th. 27 win, win over the Arizona State Sun Devils at the Coliseum on Saturday morning. We're back in the studio to react to the game. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? So if there were fans in the stands for that game... There would have been a lot of people already out in their cars. Oh, 100%. Thinking yeah. that USC had lost that game. Yes. Driving home, and if they were mad enough, they might not have tuned to the radio to hear the end of the game. They would have no clue what took place in the final three minutes of that game. Yeah, I think an acceptable time to leave would have been if they didn't get the 4th and 13. That ended up being the the Brew McCoy touchdown. I think, but the, I think most, uh, yeah, the, maybe not most, but a lot of people would have left at the Marquis step fumble. Yes, I think that you would have seen people heading for the exits, absolutely. And so maybe it's a good thing that there weren't fans in the stands because USC's maybe. players sure didn't act like they were ready to leave yet. Yeah, there might not be fans in the stands. But they won't act like they're... He's stretching that one a little, yeah, a little far. I, I, I know. Like we were, we were, we were talking in the in the car on, sorry, on, on the way home. Sorry, Keely. Uh, this was an in, an insane game uh, in a lot of ways because SC never should have been in the position that they were in. 
Um, you, you look at the yardage, SC puts up 556 yards on this Arizona State defense. And yet, I want to talk about it a lot. I thought Arizona State's defense looked great. I thought they held SC in check for most of this. I thought SC really struggled on offense, and yet they had a bunch of a bunch of opportunities. Four times SC had the ball within the ASU 25 and could not score. They got to the goal line and could not score. They had a fourth down uh, at the six-yard line. There was an interception inside the 25, a fumble on fourth down. Like So many opportunities SC had in this game they did not take advantage of. And because of it, they find themselves down, trailing 13 points in the fourth quarter, and then completely pull it out of their ass. Completely. There's no other way to put it. There, There's a line in Dumb and Dumber. Where uh, I think it's uh, it's not Lloyd, it's the other one is is there, and he's saying something like, "Just when I think you can't get any more stupid, you go and do something like this, and totally redeem yourself." <laughs> it it there, there's there's nothing more USC right like this this game was um. It's. I, I told you uh, as we were walking back to the car. I said I don't think ASU did enough to win this game, but SC had sure lost it for sure lost it because they had thrown away so many opportunities. Uh, you you know the offense wasn't do wasn't doing much and the defense was getting gassed repeatedly. Um, but yet doing that thing where they were doing that Clancy Pendergast thing uh, where, where they weren't. You know, allowing too many points. They, they, they certainly held ASU in check enough for the offense to certainly win this game. And it ends up being one of these weird games where for 57 minutes, you can look at it and say SC had no business winning it and no business losing it. And they somehow pull it out in the end. Well, it was it was so strange because the, the strength that we thought USC was going to bring to the table wasn't there. The offense was just a wreck with the turnovers and the failures to convert on fourth down, the decisions to go on so many on so many fourth downs instead of taking points where they were to be had. All of those problems plagued USC on offense. And, and on defense, it's so strange because you're right. The defense didn't look particularly good, but they had that Clancy Pendergast typical frustrating, they're good for three plays and then terrible on the fourth. Or they're really good on first down and second down, and then on third and forever, they just give up the forever. And so any positivity you might have felt about the defensive performance gets wiped away because they put up, they allow the ASU to score 27 points. But in the end, it, it, it very much felt like USC could have given up 27 points and still should have run away with this game. I mean, we I predicted a, a USC win that was... What did I say? Thirty-nine to twenty-six, something like that. Yeah. Like you know, I, I expected USC to give up the the points that they gave up in the in the end. It was just such a weird performance from USC's offense that it clouded everything. And and this is one of the things that we're going to have to unravel as we continue to examine this game as I go through the rewatch and all of those things. What happened to USC's offense? Is this a schematic flaw? Is this a system flaw? Or was it an execution flaw? What what mattered more, the the four turnovers and all the fourth down misses, or the 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 
philosophy that USC was putting out there up against up against uh, ASU's defense because what I came away by the end of the game was that Marvin Lewis totally outdid Graham Harrell in, in the end, but I don't know if I'm going to retain that opinion once I get a look at the replay and see, well, you know, reminder, USC put up more than 500 yards of offense, so they were doing something, I guess. If you would have been told before the game, uh, Keaton Slow is going to throw for 381 yards and SC is going to rush for 200 yards. You would have thought SC would have murdered him, right? And and the the weird thing is, you know, I I saw tweets on Twitter that said that, you know, hell, Clay can't even go up there and say that that if it wasn't for the turnovers that that they would have won this game big. But but that's true at the same point, right? Like like SC had many more flaws than just the turnovers. At the same point, they get down to the goal line. If if Avai Malpai scores on that first drive, which I think he did, by the way, I, I it's probably one of those that, that I haven't seen a, a good replay. So I, I've seen but, some. The, none of the replays were particularly good. Uh, but the, but the nothing that could range, be overturned. Oh, it, whatever was called on the field was going to get called. But I don't think they. I, I don't know that 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 that, that they should have called that a a fumble on the field. Just but, but either way, uh, if SC scores there, that's seven more points. Uh, if they take the field goal instead of the fourth and six, which was a ridiculous move, which, take the take, take the, the field in goal. The third quarter. Yes, take the points. Uh, you're you're, when you're down, down by ten. You're down by ten in the third quarter. You're moving the ball despite your offense not feeling like they have a rhythm. They're still being able to be productive and move the ball. Have some trust in them, and, and you know, take the points. That's that's ten more points. Uh, if they get something on the, the, the drive that Marquis Step fumbles on fourth down or the, the drive before the half in which Keaton Slovis throws the interception in double coverage, if they get anything on those two drives, again, you're talking, what, seven, ten more points on top of the, the ten points that you didn't already get. Yeah. SC should have won this game by three scores, and yet they found themselves down by two scores and needing a miraculous fin- finish to do it. A miraculous finish they absolutely got, and one that was completely improbable, banked on a 4th and 13, in which they get ASU to jump offside. That's a fortunate happens- the happenstance, right? They get ASU to jump offside. Keaton Slovis decides, I'm just going to throw throw it up. He gets a fortuitous bounce to, to Brew McCoy, who's standing in the right place at the right time. Catches it for the touchdown. Then Brew McCoy's in the right place at the right time again a minute later to get the onside kick. And then again it's fourth down, fourth and nine, when they throw the touchdown pass to Drake London. Like, all those things were incredibly improbable. And that's what SC needed to pull out a game that they should have won by three scores. Well, it's and, weird because be- it's a game because that, of the turnovers. that USC should have won this game by three scores, and also USC should have lost this game going away. Like, Absolutely. USC had no business winning yeah. this game. But this game made no sense, right? And that's why it's so hard to evaluate, because it is a game that, how you look at it, you, you can choose any number of ways. If you're USC's coaching staff, you stand up there and beat your chest and say, look at how much character we showed, and look at how much fight we showed in the end, and and you know it was a tough game with all of these circumstances at 9 a.m. First game back after a long layoff, and all of this, that, and the other thing. And you can tout your sort of mental toughness. 
while at the same time it can be entirely valid and totally uh, worthy of, of, of immense, immense, immense criticism. I mean, I wrote a thing on RandomTrow.com about the, the criticism that we saw on Twitter from Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and Sean Salisbury and uh, Eric Wright and a bunch of other former Trojans that were just like, this is bad. This is bad. Like, yeah. That third quarter was awful. The, the, the third quarter was terrible, and 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 it it coming back from halftime, where you sat back and you went, okay, so USC is trailing, they're not playing very well. After a first half of ups and downs that surely could have gone any way in the second half, and it looked to go away that was very much not SC's way in the well, second half. Well, because you 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 went into halftime and thought, okay, they 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 just come out, they regroup. Keaton Slovis uh, starts hitting. Uh, this pass or that pass a little bit better, one block here or there a little bit better, and all of a sudden you can easily take control of this game. And instead, USC comes out with their first drive of the of the half, and it's I believe it was a three and out, and it was a pitiful looking three and out at that. And that's just it was so frustrating because we've talked for years now about how USC is inept in the third quarter. The third quarter has been USC's problem, and that is not a good sign considering that you're coming back from halftime adjustments, and it feels like USC gets out adjusted. Pretty much every time. So it felt very much like the Groundhog's Day of 2019, of 2018, of, well, here we go again. This team is underachieving and we're going to be in for another rough ride. And then the team did what they also have this tendency to do, which is they come out in the fourth quarter and absolutely just find a way to will themselves to a win. And that's so frustrating because you you want to stop seeing USC have to will. Like, on the one hand, you want your team to be able to will themselves to a win. That is a very, very useful skill. On the other hand, you don't want your team to have to will themselves to a win. You want to be Clemson, who is blowing people out left and right so that they never have to play in the fourth quarter. You want to be Alabama, blowing people out left and right so that you never have to play in the fourth quarter. USC is really good in the fourth quarter, but I'm tired of seeing them have to play in the fourth quarter. Like... It's frustrating. Yeah, and we we were talking on the uh, on the drive home. Sorry, sorry Keely, Keely. That this is one of those games where we mentioned in the preview pod the the thing that SC needs to be wary of, and the one reason that I thought that they could potentially lose the would be because of all the non footbally things. Right, the nine a.m. kickoff, the the. The, the COVID weirdness of this season, right? Mm-hmm. The the lack of preparation. ASU's extra preparation throughout the offseason. All those things. The, coming in, the week one jitters. All of those things could be at play here. Surely could be at play here. It, it could absolutely be an explanation for why they were seemingly sleepwalking through that third quarter at times. And why this, this team did not look good despite their production and would not have looked good, even if they would have, you know, not turned the ball over. I I don't, and you know, they win by two scores. I don't think that people are feeling amazing about this team. Um, It could be the explanation for that, but SC has no benefit of the doubt. When you see this year after year after year, they need to prove it. And I think the the unfortunate thing for USC is that in a season in which there's only six regular season games, a- ASU being the team that you beat by a point, on one hand, that's the team you want to beat by a point because they're the other team that could win the, the South, right? They're the biggest contender. 
And they're a team that but, tends to be in close games. This right. is what they do. Yes. But there's no one else on the schedule that can validate you to prove that this wasn't just first game, 9 a.m., COVID season weirdness jitters, right? Like, there's no way to prove that. Now you pretty much have to go out there and just be flawless the rest of the way. I don't think anyone's going to hold their breath uh, and think that. So this is yet another season where it feels like, well, nothing has changed, uh, which is not the uh, is not the thing that you would have hoped for after an off se- an off season of a lot of optimism, despite Clay Helton coming back. Well, and that's the thing is that every year that Clay Helton has come back, you spend the off season going, okay. So he's back, but can he learn and grow and change? Can he learn and grow and change? Can he learn and grow and change? And every offseason we go through that rigmarole, and me being the eternal optimist, I kind of think maybe, yeah, sure, it's possible. And then you and then you end up in a game like USC was in today where it's like everything comes crashing down, and you're like, nope, this is the same. This is absolutely the same, which is, which is where I'm having a hard time evaluating this game in particular because this is something you and I have both sort of had to deal with, given that we cover this team, given that we're we're immersed in this team, balancing the enjoyment where you can find enjoyment versus the critique and frustration and criticism that that is that is rightly there. Like we come out of this game and and I'm sitting there going like, wow, they pulled that off. How cool was that last three three minutes? Those last three minutes were absolutely amazing. Good on Drake London, good on Brew McCoy, good on Keaton Slovis, good on the defense for getting the stops they needed, and good on this team for pulling that out. But do do those last three minutes change what my overriding perspective on this game was? Is that this game pretty much proves that USC hasn't turned the corner like I thought that like I hoped no, they would? It shouldn't. And I agree. There is a there is a slight chance that this was just the COVID weirdness and that USC will continue on the progression of turning. They're, they're in the middle. But they've given you no reason to, to fully believe. There's a, there's a possibility to use an F1 uh, <laughs> comparison here. There's a possibility that USC just hit the breaking zone. The corner is right there. You have to break in order to turn. So you break and then you got, it's how you accelerate out but of the turn. Are they going to hit the apex? Are they, you have to hit the apex of the turn and then it's how you accelerate out of that turn. Yeah, well, It's all about the exit and, and, and not the entrance. Yes, right? it is more important how you exit a, a turn than how you enter it. So USC entered the turn very poorly in the first three quarters or the first, you know, how, how many, uh, 57 minutes, 57 55 minutes. minutes. Yeah. But they got the perfect apex and are turning that corner and they can are now set up to accelerate this this corner very, very well. Now, I, I spend all that time saying that the chance that that's the case is extremely small at this point in my mind. It's very tiny. Can it happen? Sure, it can. But as you've said, all of the evidence that we've had up to this point is that, no, that's not what the, that's not what's happening here. This team is who they are. They are medium to the core. They are frustrating and talented and underachieving and capable of moments of greatness. But whatever hope I had that 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 USC could come out and turn that corner, I think this game pretty much settles the the perspective. Now, USC did just come back from a win probability that ASU had of ninety nine point eight percent and managed to win. So 
I'm going to use that sort of phrasing is there is a 99.8% chance that this team is the same exact team as we saw last year and this season will be just as frustrating as last year. There's also a 0.2% that they can pull this off. Yeah, but this is where it goes for for me that despite all of this, despite the frustrations, despite the, the fact that you can sit here and be like, this team is not any better. This team still looks like they need a change. Clay Helton still looks like he's not the guy for this job, despite all those things that we can say, and rightfully so. And and you know it's all valid, right? Like I don't think that I don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying any of that. And I think most of you listening will agree, right? Despite all of that, how can you not enjoy that ending? That's the thing is, like, why, like, why are you watching? You, why are you watching college football if you can't enjoy that? Why are you watching USC? Why are you, why are you putting on your colors every single week if you can't enjoy that ending? And the thing that bothers me, and, and not to be like one of these people who just, you know, gets up here and just complains about Twitter and stuff, because I know that that's, that that's really annoying to listen to. But I, I, we, we see so much of it of, SC wins this game that, that's that's crazy, and people failing to to be able to enjoy it because of their disdain for and, and for lack of a better word, their disdain for Clay Helton and and where this team is. I find that sad. Like it's really sad to me because I think you can absolutely be critical of Clay Helton. You can absolutely call for change. You can absolutely sit here and say that this team is not good enough, and this team needs to be better, uh, and, and they're they're struggling um, in this weird pit of me- mediocrity and this this purgatory where they look like they're going to be one of those you know nine ten win teams forever and never get over the hump, uh, and that that's going to be frustrating. I get all of that. And I think you can say all of those things validly. And you can still enjoy this for what it was. Like, it was an insane ending. And if you're not, like, like you're just choosing to be absolutely miserable. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. Well, I mean, I, I, as someone who has sort of clung to bad sports teams over the years as a, as a Clippers fan, and who has clung to teams that have aspired to bigger things like Liverpool I feel like, and maybe this is just my psychology, but like I feel like I cling to those teams in the hopes of something happening like we saw today, in the hopes of the epic comeback. You know, in like there there if you can't enjoy those moments, then the misery isn't worth it at all. Like th- there's no point to it. You just get to bathe in misery and and it's never ending and you then cancel out any positive feelings or enjoyment that you might have otherwise that, that, that is there. I mean, like, if you are watching Drake London and you aren't enjoying him, then you're wasting uh, someone who appears to be a, a great talent for USC. Man, he looked good. I mean, and, and even Keaton Slovis, who I, I didn't think Keaton was particularly good today, but, like, Keaton's one of the better quarterbacks USC's had in years, so, like, appreciate him while he's there. I, I want to give a shout out to Marlon Tupelotu because I thought Marlon Tupelotu had a hell of a day. And you got to appreciate what he's bringing to the table. Do I want to see a lot more from people? Yes, absolutely. But like, it can't be all or nothing. You got to be able to walk 
the the middle of the uh, of the line sometimes and acknowledge all of the deficiencies that are there and that are absolutely tinging things with disappointment while also sitting there and going like man there were some really great performances in there and kudos to those guys yeah and the thing the, the thing that bothers me the last thing I'll say here is the thing that bothers me that that I see on Twitter is the idea that you can't that if you do acknowledge the the good things any sort of good things that if you acknowledge the good things then you you're you're part of the reason that that Clay Helton is here and you um you subscribe to mediocrity and all this stuff like that is not the case you can you can point out the good things while still saying this team needs change, while still saying well, okay, so let's just get like, this, like you know, let's get like, this out of the way right here, right now, and then we can have further conversations that we will ne- inevitably have. All right, should USC bring in a new head coach? As it stands now, yes, I think yes. we obviously still agree. Yes, yeah. we both agree on that. So yeah, we're um, not excusing anything. We're not no. beating the drum for Clay Hilton keeping his job. Like I think you no. and I both think USC can improve on that front. Hundred percent. So. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement. Yeah, uh, it, it was it was still a wild, wild, wild game, and uh, we're going to talk about more of it, including the running game and our first impressions of Todd Orlando's defense. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, we had talked about it before. How much was USC going to run? They had ran more uh, last year, earlier on in the season, when when the running backs were healthy. But after that, they really got air ready, particularly towards the end of the season, uh, when the running backs were not healthy. Uh, in, in November, SC really, really became an air raid team that was throwing the ball. Heck, at one point, Amon Ross St. Brown was the starting running back, right? They go into this game, and they end up running the ball 40 times. Mind you, six of those times... Uh, were Keaton Slovis scrambles. Um, what did you think of the running game? Essie certainly threw the ball more than they passed it. I think part of that is a, is a derivative of trailing late. Keaton Slovis threw 20 passes in the fourth quarter. You kind of have to when you're down two scores. But what was your thought of the running game? Well, the running backs accounted for, what is it, 32 carries uh, between the three between three of them. Plus 11 touches in the Plus, passing game. yeah. But I thought the run the running backs were far more involved in the offense than I thought they would be. But I don't know if that was game plan. I think that may have been more about what ASU was giving USC's offense. And there were so many checkdowns uh, that, uh, that, that, that that's what they ended up doing. I'm torn because it was like it was weird when I was looking at the stats, realizing that Keaton threw the ball 55 times like it didn't feel like. USC had thrown the ball that much. I guess they had a lot of plays. That's one thing. But uh, it, it it was certainly a, a weird thought because it felt like USC was more balanced than that, uh, it, at least just from my vantage point. So I don't mind that the running backs were that involved. I just wish the running game had fit into a, a an offensive philosophy that flowed better I guess um I you know there were times when I was really frustrated that USC was even running the ball because they didn't seem to be the ideal moments to do those things well in the third quarter I think step averaged like two and a half yards per carry in the third quarter yeah and and you it's it's strange because 
I want USC to establish the run, but so much of the run is not about the running backs. Like USC's running backs are fine. They're they're going to get the yards that are there and maybe a little bit more. Three point seven yards for step step. averaged in the third quarter. Yeah, and I and I don't think that's like Marquis Step is going to run through bodies that are in front of him, but he can only run through so many. And USC's offensive line didn't seem like they they were justifying USC running the ball as often as they were. So like I think in fantasy land it's it's great to sit back and go and say USC needs to run the ball more but like if your offensive line can't can't run it then don't keep banging your head up against that that brick wall. And that's something that I think that I almost wish that USC were more willing to just go full air raid sometimes because it, it, there were there were moments where it just felt like it was taking the offense out of rhythm. I'll push back on that a little bit. I, I think that one of my biggest frustrations about this team in this game was that I thought the air raid kind of got got. Um, I had talked all week. I thought the, the move to the four three um, for ASU was not going to match up against SC's air raid, and I didn't didn't understand why ASU would go to the four three. I thought it was a little backwards. I'm like, not even Alabama runs the 4-3 anymore. What do you, Stanford doesn't run the 4-3. Like, what, what are you doing, right? And yet, I think my prevailing thought was that ASU's defense kind of bottled up the air raid. Uh, yeah, Keaton Slovis threw uh, 55 passes. He completed 40 of them. Uh, he completed 9 of 9. He was 9 of 9 in the third quarter alone. The third quarter that we thought was awful he was nine of nine, yeah, right? Those those nine passes but were not exactly he, moving that offense. So many checkdowns, so many times he had to scramble and scramble and scramble and wait for Drake London to open up. So many times he had to just throw a little screen, um, and I had no problems with the screen because I thought the screen game was a way to try to open things up, but there wasn't anything there. Um, there wasn't anything downfield until late in the fourth quarter. Um, and I don't necessarily think it was a lack of trying to think ASU did very well of trying to make sure that they didn't get beat deep. Well, and we and, talked and they about fell into that zone and dropped so many guys back. And we talked about ASU's defense, about their secondary being their strength. Yeah. And I think we definitely saw that in, in this game, but it, it was still, it was still frustrating the way that USC kept going horizontal and I get that that they're trying to do certain things, but it felt like they weren't in the rhythm that they needed to be in order to justify that kind of play calling. And it felt like they would do the thing where you know you run and get stuffed for zero or or whatever gain, and then you're in second and long or third and long, and now you're sort of pushing it. Like, right. I you absolutely, I think. ASU's defense deserves a lot of credit. I think Marvin, as I said, Marvin Lewis got Graham Harrell. I absolutely believe that. And I eat so much crow about that. And, like I, I talked a lot all yeah. week the 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 other way, and it it didn't go down. Yeah, but like I mean, and that's the thing is, remember in uh, in last year when Matt Fink came in against Utah, and I talk, we talked to somebody. No, I talked to the Oregon guys, the the Quack Twelve podcast. And they were telling me that they were more worried about USC's offense if it was akin to what Matt Fink was doing than 
to what Keaton Slovis or what JT Daniels was bringing to the table. And what they meant by that is they feared the idea of just chucking balls up and having to win one-on-one battles. And in the end, it wasn't scheme or schematics or, or, or strategy or anything that won that game. It was on fourth and whatever. Keaton Slovis was chucking balls and receivers were making plays. Like, that's not an offensive system. Hey, I think Joe Burrow did really well last year by yeah. just throwing balls up and having his receivers go get, well, go get him. I mean, that's that's been a, a favored, uh, you know, Johnny Manziel says hello. But that's the thing is, if USC, if that's the offense that USC is going to be, then go be that offense. You know, if 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 the if the most effective way to move the the ball is to yolo ball the hell out of things and just basically only complete passes that are fifty yards down the field, then. I would take that over the side-to-side sort of little dump-offs that just weren't effective against this kind of defense. Maybe USC should have gone to that earlier. Maybe USC should have embraced YOLO in the third quarter instead of waiting until the last three minutes to to do that. And I don't know if that ultimately works out. I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that's a foolproof plan, but whatever it was that USC was doing, it clearly wasn't working against the defense that ASU put in front of them. And what ultimately won out was USC saying, fine, we have talented receivers, go stop them. Yeah, and I think if they would have had more success in the passing game, it would have opened up more pockets to run in. I mean, look at the fourth quarter uh, on that last drive. Malapai, twice in a row, right, Uh, has big gaping holes to run through. He led the team in rushing because of those two two gains in the last drive. long, Long runs, yeah. But why were those those holes there? Because ASU had to had to throw guys back deep. They had to defend the vertical passing game, and you leave gaping holes that way. And SC wasn't allowing those holes because they were in this weird they were in this weird predicament where they they couldn't they weren't throwing deep because ASU w- was had this cloud coverage that was taking it away. But yet the running game wasn't consistent enough to beat them that way until the vertical game passing game opened up late. Well, but that's because USC can't impose its will as a running team. That's not what this team is. So don't try to do it, you know? Like I I guess I guess my frustration is you should run when ASU begs you to run. And don't keep running when your center is getting blown back 2 yards every time. Don't keep keep running when your guards are getting blown back 2 yards every time. Like I maybe I'm just not stubborn enough like a like a football coach but when I see the execution that be that poorly so often why again I I'm just going to say this again like why keep banging your head against against the wall like that right the the my concern now going forward for this offense and this run game in general is like I I I like all of the running backs that are available but I don't think they are set up to succeed when Brett Nealon has a guy over over his nose and he just gets taken out every time. Can can we talk about the offensive line? Because I thought this was a brutal performance for them. Well, from what Uh, I Especially in pass pro. Um, The right side of the line early on was just getting mauled. Yeah. Uh, Jalen McKenzie. And I want to go back and and watch because was that more about Jalen McKenzie or was it about Liam Jimmins? I don't know. My my hunch is is Jalen McKenzie because it looked like it was really coming outside. But I want to go back and rewatch that and... And see really where the breakdowns were because Keaton Slovis did not have much time in this game. And that's another part of it. He had he always had to check down, but 
His checkdowns were so early. So many times, like, he was just staring down one read, and if it wasn't there, he was just going to check down. And part of that is because he had no confidence in in the, the pass pro, right? Yeah, well, so uh, my vantage point from the press box is not particularly great to track the offensive line if I also want to pay attention to what's going on with the entire... I basically get to choose one or the other because I don't have good eyesight and I have to use binoculars if I want to look at the offensive line, which means I can't see anything else on the field. So that's where I'm at. Um, there's, a re- there's a reason I rewatch games. Um, so it was hard for me to tell, but from what I could see early on, Jalen McKenzie was struggling with, with some outside pressure. Uh, Brett Nealon was really struggling with the uh, pressure straight up the middle. And the guards were both having breakdowns here or there, and that was sort of dictating which side the majority of the pressure was coming to. Saw a lot of commentary on Twitter about the interior guys, about center and the two guards, having a lot of struggles from people who were watching uh, on TV and, and, and from other vantage points. So the rewatch, will, will that's something that I always pay close attention to, is what's going on with USC's offensive line, but it didn't look good. It certainly didn't look good. And this is why... Every every year we come into to a season and we look at USC's available talent and expect the offense to to really just take off and click. And every year it stutters a bit because the offensive line can't match what USC brings to the table in terms of talent in 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 the skill positions and I. Theoretically, you want your air raid to to factor that out a little bit because you're 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 throwing the ball quickly and you're just getting the ball out. But that's kind of not what USC ended up doing in this game. And and when USC was trying to do that, ASU was on top of things. So credit to the Sun Devils there too. All right, let's turn the page and go to defense. Talk about this new defense under Todd Orlando. <sighs> I. I don't. <laughs> How do you even begin? <laughs> I, I well, I'm so torn. I, I I feel like I mean the the simplest way to say it is it felt a lot like Clancy Pendergast, right? Because you and you mentioned it earlier, it was the three, four, five, six great plays followed by the one huge breakdown, and that one huge breakdown is what you were going to remember, right? And if anything, I think that this was Clancy Pendergast's defense, but like the best possible version of it in the sense of those great plays, I think were so much better. I think the, the, the defense was so aggressive. They swarmed. I thought they, they gang tackled. Um, I was having trouble figuring out who was making the plays because there'd be like four guys uh, tackling dudes, especially early on. Uh, really, the first twenty minutes of the game, I thought they were all over ASU, stopping the run. Uh, you know, really being aggressive, and having four guys there to tackle whoever had the ball every single time. Uh, they were they were uh, they weren't getting beat with misdirection, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they couldn't stop the misdirection to to save their life. Well, and and, and was it was like was, the, the Clancy Pendergast thing all over. That was what was so strange is early on I was very encouraged. Um, I uh, Like you, I, I thought they were handling the misdirection well. I thought they were tackling pretty well early. 
And then at a certain point, they just stopped tackling well. And at a certain point, they just started getting... Yeah, uh, the, the lo- second and third quarters were really brutal. Losing their discipline. And, and uh, yeah, that's what that's what makes it makes it difficult because it did feel like there were a ton of good moments. It did feel like... It's hard to say. It felt like they were a little bit more physical. It felt like they were more... Uh, that they were quicker to the ball. It felt like they were making those big plays. It felt like the defensive line was doing a, a better job of of getting to the quarterback. It felt like the DBs were breaking up passes, and yet they 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 were giving up the same big plays, the same big plays that they've given up over the last few years right. to a T. So was it really better, or was it just we haven't watched them play in you know in ten months, eleven months? So. I I I am quite torn. The thing about Todd Orlando is, though, he at least deserves some benefit of the doubt because he is a new defensive coordinator. This is his first game with the team. This is the team's first game with him. And they did have a weird, you know, if I'm going to extend the benefit of the doubt to anybody, it, it, it's Todd Orlando at this point, especially going up against an ASU offense that uh, Jaden Daniels is a playmaker. Jaden Daniels will do that to a lot of teams. I was quite frustrated at times with um, USC not uh, – that USC didn't respect his legs the way that you would have thought they would have. I don't understand. There there was one of them. Uh, it, it was the third down It was down the third play. down where they blitz well, Max they, Williams. They blitz Max Williams. And Max Williams lines up as a linebacker. And I thought, okay, if you're gonna spy him there, that's a. I I like this. Like I, I like this package. Uh, go heavy on DBs and see what you can do. And he he waits a second and then blitzes off the edge. And as soon as he does, he just creates this wide open channel for Jaden Daniels to go run and get 31 yards on third down. And. They never seem to change that, and even the final drive, the the very final drive of the game, um, I, I put on Twitter. I'm like, the, at some point you need you need to spy. Rem- don't forget that that you know in in the second and third quarters that Jaden Daniels was killing you on third down. Don't forget to spy, and yet those last four plays, as, as Clay Helton talked about uh, in in the post game press conference, were all the same. It was man coverage. And they were bringing heat, and it was the exact same play call four times in a row. And it worked for SC. To their credit, it absolutely worked. And to Todd Orlando's credit, he trusted his players, and his players came through. But did he learn from the mistakes of the, of the second and third quarters? I don't necessarily think so. So, I, I mean, is, is, that, is that more on the execution finally panned out? Or was it a ballsy risk that just happened to pay off? I I, I don't know. Well, either, either so that, way. that's the thing with a with a running quarterback though, with a dual threat quarterback, is you're gonna get one or the other. You're, you're gonna rattle the them, or you, they're gonna beat you with their legs. Right, and and it's there's a pick your poison sort of element to it. I mean, to be fair, USC limited Jaden Daniels to 134 yards passing and a 47.8 completion percentage. So like. If their goal was to not let him beat them with his arm, then well, that's why I think mission accomplished. That's why I look at this from a, a holistic view, right? Uh, and I don't necessarily um, have much beef with the defense because I, I think that yes, they let Jaden Daniels run on them 
and they let Jaden Daniels kill them just like they let Ian Book kill them last year at at, um, at Notre Dame uh, on third down when you really needed to get those stops. At the same point, I think that if you look at this, they they rolled the dice, they picked their poison. Uh, they didn't let Jaden Daniels throw at all. I thought that their ASU's passing game I thought was horrible, mm-hmm. um, completely horrible. Like they were they were picking up yards on swing passes, and that was it. They couldn't yeah. throw the ball downfield at all. Um, they couldn't complete anything. <laughs> the only time they really picked up yards in the passing game were, was because uh, SC got called for a few PIs. Like it wasn't productive in the slightest. So if if you're if you're Todd Orlando and if it was a pick your poison thing and you're like I'm gonna take away the pass then I think you did it, you you succeeded take away the pass keep them under thirty and you know your offense is capable of scoring forty plus that's the the big te- the Big Twelve defense mm-hmm. w- way way to do it SC absolutely did their job on defense well the the bigger the offense by turning it over so many times and not finishing off their drives kept this from being that 45-24 game that we talked about right. where we said if SC does their job they win this game 45-24. Yeah. The, well, and the, they they do win this game 45-24 if they don't turn it over with the same exact defensive performance. My my issue with the defensive performance wasn't necessarily I mean okay, yes, I like everyone am very frustrated when you're on third and long and you give up the scramble to the to the quarterback. I I would prefer not to see that honestly. I would prefer well, you would hope not. I mean I would prefer given what we know about Jaden Daniels accuracy problems. Honestly, I probably would have preferred USC to ask him to beat them with his arm. Just frankly, I think that probably would have been a, a better strategy. But, you know, whatever. I'm not a defensive coordinator. My bigger issue was giving up, you know, a 25-yard touchdown on the ground. A 55-yard touchdown that was really a lot of yak yards. Uh, a a 17-yard touchdown on the ground. Now, one of those rushing touchdowns, there was a blatant hold on the outside of, of, of Greg Johnson that probably should have wiped that thing out and, and and you know, put the put ASU back. But at the same time, like, can I guarantee that Greg Johnson's going to get off that block if he's not being held and make that tackle? I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, you know, there, there were some moments where I thought USC did maybe get a, a little bit of a raw deal, but giving up those big touch, giving up those big scores, don't make it so easy for ASU. Make them have to claw for every single uh, score that they get. I think that's where USC was was frustrating to me is that the singular breakdown it can't result in six for the other team. It just can't. If if the singular breakdown results in a third down conversion, that's fine. Make them do what teams do to USC. The, 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 when when teams are effective against USC, it's because they're forcing USC to have to convert four third downs on a, on a drive. So yeah. USC doesn't do that to opposing offenses, and that's I, I think that that would probably be a fresh breath air if, if USC managed to to do something more like that rather than the uber aggressive big play here and there, but then you give up the 50-yard touchdown. That's, you know, backbreaking. But at the same time, they, they give 27 points. Yeah. It wasn't a great defensive performance, but like I, I I predicted USC would give up 26 points. So, like, I can't say I thought the defense would keep ASU from scoring any more than that. Yeah, and I think I said 20 points. So, like, it, it, it's all in the same general ballpark. 
Uh, let's, let's wrap this thing up. I'm just going to throw out a couple names. I just want really quick rapid fire your thoughts. Drake Jackson. I didn't notice him. That's That was my thought. Yeah. That, that's exactly what my thought is. And I'm anxious to do the, the rewatch uh, because I don't know if, that, if that's a me thing. If that's a this scheme thing, or now, if he just didn't have a good game, it's entire. I think it's possible that they shut him down, and that's part of why Marlon Tupelotu was so effective. Sure. You know, it could have been something like that. But frankly, I didn't notice USC's linebackers at all. I didn't notice Ian Oteote, and he's on the stat sheet with seven tackles, so he was involved. But I certainly didn't notice him making them. I didn't notice Raylan Goforth. I th- I thought Goforth uh, caught my eye a ton. A lot of that was because. He was blitzing mercifully. Merci- Mercilessly? Mercilessly. <laughs> well, I yes. know that there was uh, people on Twitter were blaming him for one of the breakdowns where he missed his gap and, and, and ASU took advantage of it. But, uh, yeah, frankly, I'd, the linebackers didn't stand out to me at all, and I want them to start standing out to me. All right, how about Chris Steele? Well, he got he got in trouble a couple times for the for, for getting handsy. I, I thought that he could have got popped later on on those final drives. Yeah, I okay. So I I I know you have this biased view of the refs. It's that, not that, it's not so much bias as I would prefer Pac-12 refs called the game the way you watch SEC refs call a game. Sure. Um. So I I feel for USC's DBs in these situations where. In a lot of other conferences, none of what they would do is a problem. Now, they do play in the Pac-12. They need to adjust to it. But I, I feel for them. I'm not going to be too hard, too harsh on them. The way I look at it, if you're going to be super physical, you need to expect that the calls are going to happen. Yeah. That's, that's just it's just how it is. I will, I will continue to say ASU didn't really eat USC alive in, in the secondary. The, the corners held yeah, their ground. For sure. If the cost of that is a couple PIs, I'm willing to pay that cost. All right, IPM. I thought he was great. I, I know that, the, I again, I saw on Twitter uh, that there were some complaints about a couple of plays that he had. The 55-yard the screen pass. He missed yeah. the, yeah, the screen pass where he missed the tackle. That's definitely not something you want to see, but he had two pass breakups. Both of them were really good. I thought he was, that reverse that he blew up, was excellent. Lots I, of 14 yards on that. I thought he was the better of the two as far as Talano Hufanga, I thought which so was too. a surprise. Yeah, not a knock on Hufanga, but like I thought that IPM was a little bit more no- noticeable. Um, part of that's because uh, IPM had two pass breakups too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his productivity in that sense was a little bit better. Uh, Hufanga certainly led the team in tackles. Um, last thought to throw your way is, is Brew McCoy. We didn't really... I feel like we didn't talk enough about uh, Brew McCoy. Uh, well, because he wasn't that involved early. He really came alive. Late. He had the early catch uh, for like six yards, and then he sort of went away, and, and USC wasn't really utilizing him a ton. And then he came alive in, the, in at the end of the game, and, and it was huge. Uh, he was in the right place at the right time. Uh, had the quick quick instincts to go and grab that ball when uh, when Amon Ra threw it, went, tipped it up. And then to have the, the wherewithal to... Recover the onside kick. Big, big deal for him. He made a catch, I think, at least one catch on that last drive, on that last scoring drive for USC. So it was very nice to see him get involved the way that he did. Uh, I I think that uh, USC is still going to have to figure out how to utilize him best. But it was a very it was a very bright start for him. And and uh, I'll take it. Like, if he's going to be, you know, 
only positive things to say about him. I don't really have a negative thing to say. That's all I want from any player. Yeah, I thought you had a fantastic game. First time we've seen him, obviously. First time he's played in you know yeah. in better part of, of two years, so yeah. Um final thoughts. Uh being in a game with no fans was was interesting. Um in a lot of ways, um being in the press box I think doesn't give it a a, a fair assessment because in a lot of ways it just felt like another game. Um because we're doing our uh random Troy work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're 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 tweeting, we're I'm making graphics, you're you're writing, like we're doing those things to, to keep keep us busy in that sense, but it was weird not having the band there. Um it was weird the um the noise that they had piped in, how it didn't seem to correlate to what was going on in the field was well, weird. Okay, I have two thoughts. I have two thoughts on this. Um the the most difficult part of the the crowd noise situation was sometimes when you're working you rely on the crowd to tell you when things are happening right and that you can't depend on that because the the sound doesn't sync up to everything yeah they kept playing the the third down trumpet the one two three first down trojans on second down I, it was messing me up because I'd be sitting there, you know, looking down, writing a sentence, and then I'd hear that little, the, the little charge call, and then I'd look up and go like, wait, it's third down already? And then I'd look at the little marker, and it's second down. I was like, guys, you're, you're messing with me. This is not good. Um, but you don't have the crowd to, like, let you know. I didn't, I missed a couple of times that there was even a fourth down because I, you didn't have the clear energy of a crowd saying, this is a big play, right? Like, it was, it was very strange like they, that. They weren't ringing the bells. They weren't ringing the bells. They weren't doing And and the other the other thing I was laughing at is that like so they have like a boo track or like a grumble 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 kind of track and it's just like when they were choosing to play it was sometimes a little bit strange, a little bit weird like Okay, so the touch and like I understand it's a it's a hard job. I to, don't. Yeah, I'm, to, to do this, I'm not trying to be still, overly critical. It was still jarring, but it's jarring. Yes, it, it's, it just is jarring. So the touchdown that ASU scored, I think it was the the um, was the fifty five yarder, uh, the one where they had to review it to see if he was across the line. He was half a body across the line. That they didn't call that a touchdown live was absolutely ridiculous. But like they're playing the boo track when they come back from that review and I'm just looking at it going like if this were real like the Coliseum would have sat back and been like yeah that's a touchdown like no one's gonna boo that I don't know it was it was strange the timing on it was strange the the music playing during silence of like the quarter breaks or the pregame was odd the lightning delay before the game that wasn't was by the way I told you it wouldn't rain. I told you, you it wouldn't told rain. Me, well, it was pouring rain when we were going through security to get into the stadium. This is so true. it was certainly raining. It, it as soon as we got in, it it stopped raining. So that was I mean, it, if if it had been raining, at least USC would have had a good excuse for the three fumbles that they lost, you know. Hey, the grass could have been still The grass wet. was still slick. There you go. Uh but uh, you know, it was just a an all-around an all-around weird uh weird day. Just observations from the press box. You were over all the way, shuttled off to the to the left, uh, in 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 the upper row. I was in a place that I normally am not. I'm I'm curious if you 
have noticed this in your experience of where you've been placed in the Coliseum when you've been front row, which is where I was. Have you ever been in front of the guys doing the stat calls? Yeah, and you get the the spotters and the, and they're and they're yelling out who tackled. Yeah, who and so, whatever. so you, you get, one guy is just like blurting stuff, and like the other guy. The, is, there's like five five of them or yeah, four of the, them. The, the worst part is when it's a field goal, and one guy's yelling out numbers of everyone who's theirs for the for the participation chart. Oh, see, I I didn't that that, that wasn't a thing. I actually quite enjoyed it because like for before it's every play, it's an interesting play, thing because be, these are logistical things you never think about. Well, you think about it if you've ever I don't know how many of our listeners have done this, but if you've ever looked at a game book, so like a play by play sheet. The play by play sheet has indications when it's no huddle. They have indications when it's in the shotgun. And those kinds of those kinds of things. Well, before every play, and it's pretty much every play, somebody's shouting out, no huddle, shotgun. And it's like, okay. And then, you know, they're the back, to, back to pass, and then everyone shouts, pass. And then they wait until it gets sent to caught, no caught, no, uh, Amon Ra, or, or, you know, whatever. They were freaking out because they couldn't figure out if Brew McCoy or Max Williams was the one who was the number four who recovered the onside kick, uh, they were super confused because the 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 uh, the call sheet that that USC printed out for everybody had Marlon Tupelotu listed as number fifty one and he's number ninety three now. So they were like super confused about that for a moment. But like it's very it's it's a very interesting sort of process that you that you figure out where. One guy is responsible for calling out the no huddle shotgun. Another guy is responsible for calling out who caught the ball. Another guy's responsible for four yards, and then they have the announcer over the the press box speaker who is basically relaying all of their information to the whole press box by then going, by sort of like whittling it down to pass complete to number four, Brew McCoy, for four yards or whatever. You know, it just, it was, you know, I've been in press boxes now for a couple of years, and this is the first time I've had such a front row seat for that kind of thing. Which was uh, which was interesting. So, yeah, it's always uh, it's always a uh, fun experience, indeed. Uh, I think that's gonna wrap things up. Uh, thanks for listening, as always, to the Carcast. You guys know how to reach us. Phone number two one three three seven three one eight seven two. That is the phone number. Call in now and get your questions for our Fallout episode, and we'll have so much more for you. Later in the week to talk about USC and ASU and the insane win that SC had. Uh, insane and frustrating at the same time. Uh, Alicia, what's in store over on Patreon? Yeah, so on Sunday I'll be doing my rewatch, which I am very excited to do because I always need a rewatch to make sense of the game. Uh, so I'll go through and uh, and watch every play and sort of try to figure out you know who, who did their job and who didn't and figure out whether or not my perception of the game has changed or if it's been reinforced. Uh, so that is always a, a hoot to do. I'm, I'm super, this game in particular needs it. So that'll be over on, uh, on, on Patreon on, on Sunday night or early Monday. And, uh, and yeah, that's, um, something to look forward to. Yes. Yeah, Sid and DD, patreon.com slash random where you can get all of our bonus content. Uh, until then we will see you. See ya. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.